Hello and welcome to another episode of Doom to Bloom podcast. Today we have another special guest, Reese, who is going to talk to us about mindset, mental wellness, and recovery, and just all things relating to that. Hi, Reese. Hey, Jacqueline. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good. Thank you for being a guest. I know we've been in contact for quite some time now, so I'm excited that we've actually made this happen. Yes, it's taken us quite a while to actually sync our schedules up here. And here we are, so we're doing it. <laughs> I'm excited. Where makes sense to start for you, Reese? I I guess start at the beginning. I I was fortunate enough to be both a medically and, and a traumatized by life kid that that ended up in addiction um, to alcohol when I was a teenager and somehow managed to stick to my training as an indigenous medicine woman, eventually get sober. And here I am living a life today where not only do I help women overcome their trauma, but I, I'm i the 360 story that you can turn your life around and come back from anything. Incredible. Can we break some of this down, Reese? Of course. All right. So let's start with, you said alcoholism. What did, what did that look like for you? I mean, at the beginning, it started with just teenage drinking. And then there, there were life traumas. And from there, I, I was drinking a lot. And by the time I was in college, I was drinking in class and before class. <laughs> and it wasn't until I dropped out and wrote my first book that I actually realized that the path I was headed down would kill me one day. Wow. And so what did recovery look like for you? Because I know there's so many different you know, treatments and modalities and supports. And a lot of people, it's very specific to them. So what did that look like for you? I mean, for, for the first two or three weeks, I was completely sober, um, like no substance at all. But then I realized if I was actually going to live with the cravings, the withdrawal periods and all of that, I, I switched to a harm reduction model. And originally after that switch, I allowed myself 12 a year for over five years. And now I, I can drink socially. I still try to avoid it as much as possible, but dealing with my own demons in the, that few year period really has enabled me to no longer see or experience the addictive tendencies that was linked to substance in the past, if that makes sense. Totally. And when you say you dealt with your demons, I'm assuming that means you, and correct me if I'm wrong, please, but I'm assuming that means that you worked through any of the traumas and kind of the underlying stuff that led towards that addiction to begin with. Yeah, it, it was all of the underlying trauma, life stuff, just emotions that I was shoving down that I refused to deal with because they were too painful. And how did you end up dealing with those? Um, there was a continuation of on and off counseling, some really amazing um psychedelic meditation experiences without drugs and for me it's always been a huge piece to heal through art so I I wrote my books and I also I try to create something at least every couple of weeks whether that be 
a cheesy done by myself painting where I'm I'm just channeling emotion. Like I may have an inspiration, but generally it's more so just this is how I'm feeling. Let me get it out of my body. And what do you do with those paintings? Do you sell them? No, actually, I keep them. Right now I have about a checkered pattern of them on my wall in my current rental where it's it's white spaces um like alternating between all of these paintings and that's cool I, I can look at them and i see like wow well first when i did that painting this is what i saw in it but now i see all of that beauty instead of just anger Wow. And it's it's always nice to just look at them from different perspectives. And how often do you look at them and reanalyze? Honestly, pretty regularly. They're actually on the wall behind my desk, and I'm currently working from home. So I, I do see them for probably a couple hours every day if I'm cognitively, even subconsciously, an analyzing them. So way more often than I thought. <laughs> yeah, it's it's probably more of an in-your-face thing. But that would also be fairly on-brand for me. <laughs> and what do you mean by that? Um, that sounds almost like juicy. <laughs> well, I, I have commonly be, been coined as having rainbows and sunshine shoot out my ass. I, I'm a fairly in-your-face personality. <laughs> Which is great. We love that. Some people don't, but I love that. <laughs> um, like, yes, many people don't love that, but I many people do. And on a day where I'm just chill, it, it confuses people. They're like, oh, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm just not the center of the show today. Leave me alone. Maybe tomorrow. Right? Call <laughs> <laughs> me next week. Book an appointment. <laughs> I love that. And so, Reese, to go back a couple steps again, you mentioned that you help women heal. How do you do that? What Tell us, tell us all the things. Well, I, I take a holistic approach to all things mental health. I, there are, of course, the basics of meditation, breath work, CBT, like actually analyzing and, and working through different methods. But I also, if I encounter someone that cannot pinpoint the word to an emotion, but I can see that they're going through it. There have been times where I will pull out a guitar and I will run through each key until the person has a physical response. And then we find a rhythm within that key that makes them spit it out in a way that feels safe to them to let it out, whether that be rap or just saying it or however, because that, that has turned into my modern twist on indigenous music therapy and how we still to this day do a lot of traditional drum circles through song to promote healing and also community. But in this level, we can do it more privately and let it be personalized. And you don't have to remember what you said unless the song jived with the individual and they want to keep that with them because we're not sitting there recording it or writing it down it's it's just a breakthrough and so when you're supporting these women is it indigenous focused i primarily work with women of color but in all reality i'm happy to work with all women like no, no matter nationality, as long as a person is respectful, I will never say no. And just women, though, only? Preferably. 
I, I try not to work with men. They, they, I have found in a therapeutic relationship that they push my own trauma buttons a little too hard and it is often unsuccessful on my end. Okay. And are you actively working on those traumas? Cause I think, I mean, not saying that this is you Reese, but I often hear that people have traumas, which absolutely, but they almost cling to those rather than try to work through right. those. Well, and, and that's a great question because yes, I, I am constantly trying to improve and honestly just continuous healing because as much as you might think that you've healed, like the healing journey from trauma is lifelong. You, you will always need tune-ups here and there. I, I try to actively make time in each week to continue to dissect and rewire things so that I am more whole, I guess. And more whole being more yourself or is that more spiritual type whole? Um, I would say a combination of both um, because both more myself in that free loving spirit energy, but also, yes, my more whole in my spirit because I can analyze and acknowledge the fact that through certain things, I parts of my charisma even just chipped off in little pieces. And one day I would like all of that to be back, not just 95%. And what have you been doing to get that back? Well, I, it has become a lifestyle to really focus on genuine self-care in eating healthy, exercising as much as I can, and focusing on, you know, the meditation, journaling, sitting just in silence with, with my own thoughts until they happily float down the river instead of causing angst or overwhelm or complete exhaustion because some emotions are that heavy. But I, I'm the kind of person that I truly have enjoyed my own healing moments because as I get each little piece back through the continued work day to day, I, I get back to me. Do you, this might be a loaded question, do you find that you really truly know who you are? Yes. Like, are you, yeah? Can you yes. tell us about that? Because I find that fascinating that a lot of people honestly will say no. Well, I, I guess I'm fortunate enough that I, I do come with that strong-willed spirit that I have always known who I am. And my, even my mother would tell you to this day, yep, they, that kid knew who they were I, from the time they were a child. And I, I can agree. I, I know who I am. I know what I like. And, and I know what I don't stand for, but I, even in my own practice, I, I work with several people that have no idea who they are because they have let life take them down different paths. And during that, they lost themselves. But I guess that in my own journey, I was fortunate enough that the one thing I did hold on to was the remaining pieces of myself at like up until the beginning of the actual healing. And then from there, it was just piecing it all back together. And how long, because again, you've also mentioned this recent, I've mentioned this in, in previous episodes, but how long has your healing journey been? I mean, I, I started counseling over 15 years ago. Um, but if we want to look at time period of actually doing the healing work and seeing 
a difference in progress and recovery. I would say the last six, almost six and a half years. I, I sometimes don't like to ask that question just because I feel like when I first started my healing journey and I used to hear people saying whatever their recovery time was with kind of a timestamp, I always thought, oh, well, I need to kind of up my game because they were healed in three years or they were healed in six months. And I sometimes hesitate to ask that because I, I don't want listeners or anybody else to feel like because you healed in a time frame and I healed in a time frame that they have to fit into that. But on the other hand, I also like to ask because it shows the other side of that where healing and recovery for most is like a lifelong journey and it's not something that you can just put a timestamp on. So I kind of get conflicted if that makes sense. Oh, that definitely makes sense because even my own clients that have read my books will come to me and say, I haven't been through as much as you have. Mm -hmm. Is it still okay if I work with you? Well, if I'm the professional that you feel called to work with and you know my own history, then yeah. I'm not going to sit here and judge you because your big T trauma wasn't my big T trauma. And do you get that quite often? I wouldn't say quite often, but relatively often. Yeah. Definitely is a common theme. Like they, they've done their homework, they know who I am, and they feel like their own trauma is minimized. And I, I baffles me because I, I would never say like mine, mine is more than yours. Do you think that comes partly from society, or do you think that comes mostly from? what they've been taught at such such young ages when all of this trauma was happening. See, and and I have to agree, like it's probably more their conditioning as and society than anything else. Because, well, it was just this. I we always throw the modifier in there. We we diminish all of our experiences and we downplay them so that someone doesn't think anything is like the end of the world, even if for you in a time period, it might be. Mm-hmm. I I often hear, as you probably know, Reese, that I'm also in the same similar field, I guess, not same field necessarily, but very similar field. And I often hear that back and forth, even between coworkers and client to coworker, um, relationship, I often hear people comparing traumas saying, oh, mine's not, mine's not bad enough or mine's not severe enough or mine didn't last as long. So yours is more important or more pressing or more significant. And I always try, given that it's hard, I always try to kind of bring awareness to that because as individuals, we're all wired differently we all feel differently we all think differently and so all of those differences between all of us in a very general simple sense is why we all have the the differences in trauma right me and you could go through the exact same experience and we're both wired differently. We both feel differently. We both think differently. And so I might come out of that not feeling very affected and it might be very traumatic to you. So I always, I always try, but I don't know that. Do you think there's an easier way to get others to understand that? See, and when often when they come to me with that stance of, well, I went through less, my, my general response is, well, I want you to go through less. I, the less that you potentially went through, not to minimize it, will likely make your job 
on your own inner healing journey a lot easier. Mm-hmm. If, if it was one thing versus 73 things, that yeah, that's going to be a lot easier for us to help work through. And do they, are they usually receptive to that or? Because then they, they see it in, in more of that perspective of, oh, well, that's great then. Let, let's work on this. Sometimes we just need that reminder. More often right. than not, I think. Well, and in reality, I would rather everyone born after me would be less traumatized than I was as a kid. And how realistic is that, Reese? <laughs> um, knowing how the world is going, especially in this country, um, I, I think I might have to bite my tongue on that one. <laughs> but I want to hear your thoughts on that. <laughs> Enlighten us, Reese. <laughs> I, I, I think it's highly unlikely that the kids that come after us will be experiencing any less trauma, if not like heaps and heaps more. I unfortunately also agree. I, the world, I mean, like, I remember being a kid, so I'm not quite 30. I remember being a kid and, you know, the world at that time seemed scary to me as a kid. But we didn't have all the school shootings and all of these bombings and all, like, essentially World War Three happening and, like, all of these things, right? So I think the level of scarity scary is dependent on who it is but i think overall the world is a way more scary place right like um i know that this would affect queer rights and things but i would rather we went back to even the 90s when you didn't have to lock your doors at night yeah i yeah I don't know what that would be like. Right? Like, I mean, I'm okay. sure it would be incredible, but I can't imagine that just like, given how like, today's... It's not realistic. No, not at all. <laughs> we can hope. <laughs> but I do, I do agree with you, though, that very right. unlikely that others will not be as traumatized as you were growing up. Oh. Right. Well, and even I, back when I was more group focused and working with youth, seeing youth like 10 years younger than I was at the time that had been through all of the same things at the same age markers absolutely broke my heart. Mm-hmm. And when you were working with those younger ones, were they also Indigenous? Uh, some of them were indigenous, um, but they were all LGBT. Okay. And that, like, that's a whole other, I guess, conversation in terms of traumas just for them alone. Right. Like, yeah, I, we were always worried about which ones would be on the verge of homelessness next. Mm -hmm. Can we touch on... Or expand however long you feel. But can we touch on kind of mental health and LGBTQ plus? Yes. I I mean, I don't remember accurate statistics from today, but I don't imagine they've changed that much. <laughs> what What are some, I think I know the answer to this, but what are some of the like major contributing factors? Well, they, the biggest factor for LGBT mental health issues is non-supportive friends and family. It's not being accepted when you finally feel brave enough to let someone into your true world instead of playing the facade that they desire of you. Mm-hmm. And also, like, the ever still rampant bullying in schools. I think it's actually gotten worse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially, like, the the deeper we get into the internet, it seems the, the worse things are. 
because the cyberbullying is like unrelenting. Um, I mean, at least when I was in high school, I only got like death notes and th threats to beat the hell out of me in my locker. <laughs> and you say only. <laughs> well, yeah, I got to leave it at school. That, yeah, I guess I can see that point. Like, yeah, I, I was taking it at home emotionally, I but I, school was more of the danger until a certain point. And then, then I was just a regularly couch surfing teenager myself. And so what are, what, if any, maybe are some things that, us in the mental health profession, but also just us as humans can do to try to support the LGBTQ plus community with their mental health, knowing that, you know, stigma and shame and stereotypes and labels are all unfortunately increasing. Honestly, just try and remember that no matter someone's orientation or their gender or whatever we're all just human and mm -hmm. these kids i i mean even the adults that are coming out they often just need the these some safe coping tools so that they're not going to be causing harms to themselves or others in the process of finally exploring themselves in their identity what do you think has contributed to such uh, stigma, I guess would be the word, for those that are not heterosexual? I mean, aside from society saying men love women and women love men, because that's simply not the case. But what do you think has contributed to like the increasing an influx of stigma? Unfortunately, I, I have to say that it would be the far left groups. I even like the far left queer groups, even themselves, that are out there projecting that everyone in the world has to accept queer people or, you know, everyone has to be bi or accepting of. And in reality, at least 80% of the human population doesn't care at all. Mm -hmm. If they don't care if you're queer, they don't care if your favorite color is red, they, they just want you to be a normal person and, and not cause harm to kids. It's mm -hmm. that simple. But the influx of all of these far left groups and just preaching it too far, I mean, even myself as a two-spirit, trans, pansexual woman, I would rather we go back to a day and an age where you couldn't walk down the street and assume what someone did in their bed. Mm -hmm. and, and that's not saying I don't like queer people. I just don't like PDA. <laughs> totally. Can we touch on, if you're comfortable, Reese, to touch on maybe some of the mental health impacts or stigma that you've received being two-spirited, trans, and pansexual? Honestly, the, the biggest stigmas for me now I as an adult, because I, I didn't transition super young, um, would just be the fear and and this isn't all the time anymore because you know i've i've grown up i live but the fear of not knowing where you can safely go without being hate crimed in the political climate that we live in today because you never know when joe schmo is going to be carrying a pocket knife or something like that and well yes I do have 10 years of martial arts experience under my belt. 
I don't ever want to have to use it again. Mm -hmm. And have you had to use it to defend yourself? In the past, yes. Um, and actually only after I had come out as trans. And do you know... Do you know why the stigma was the way it was back then? Because you said 10 years ago, right? Yeah. So I can only imagine, and again, not trying to mitigate or minimize yours at all, Reese, but I can only imagine, just like you said, with social media being how it is now, it's probably that much more prevalent and kind of in your face. Well, exactly. And... And I mean, I even see other queer people that are more visibly queer than I am. Mm -hmm. And th th they're nervous on transit. They're, they're nervous walking down the street. And that is where I'm fortunate enough to live a straight passing life where I'm, I'm not out here. I mean, if anything, you'll see my half sleeve tattoos. And to most people, th that's enough to be like, Yep, not that woman. Uh-uh. I think tattoos nowadays still have quite a stigma. Yes. I, despite the, like, common prevalence in our society that more people are getting them, especially tattoos like mine, I they have stigma. <laughs> I mean, the one on the half sleeve of mine is a skull flower. It doesn't exactly scream, oh, I'm I'm dainty and delicate and, and a pretty flower. <laughs> Who no. wants to be a pretty flower anyways? It, it says, <laughs> bite me. <laughs> yeah, totally. But not in a bad way. Right? It's, it's okay. You want to square up? Let's go. <laughs> Who's going to win, though? <laughs> yeah, right? And I, believe me, like, some people look at me for a second, like they would come at me I, with aggressive body language and such. But I look back at them the same way and immediately they back down. Do you ever think that there'll be a day where this might not be, I'm going to maybe be very optimistic and hopeful, but that it might not be this way. I mean, maybe one day in the nursing home when my favorite kid is sneaking me margaritas in the nursing home. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to say no. <laughs> yeah, I, I hate to be the, the Debbie Downer here, but no. I At the rate that we're going, I think that we're more likely to see the like annihilation of humankind before we see people just being kind to each other because we all bleed red. Mm -hmm. I kind of had a feeling that was going to be your answer, but I was like, maybe I'll be hopeful. Maybe I'll be optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> boy, boy, did I kill that. <laughs> you did, but I would rather you be realistic than optimistic if that makes sense and I know that probably sounds like you know negative and whatever but I think to be realistic means to have expectations and kind of boundaries and grounds that you know will actually to some degree I want to say protect you right and and protect or sorry prevent some of these other situations from happening. Right. Well, and, and honestly, that there are ways where it has improved a lot. Because there is still now that roughly 80% of the population that knows queer, trans, gay, bi people exist, mm -hmm. but just doesn't care. They're like, well, I'm not but I know that they deserve to live too. They, that, that's a majority of our population. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, even in Canada, if you look at it, we actually have equal rights on paper. And 
the only thing that people are still fighting are the extremists. Because, I mean, even my boomer of a grandmother doesn't care. And that's very, I'm going to say, non-traditional for her. Right? Well, and, and I mean, that's not how it was when I first came out. But once she saw the joy after I completed my transition, they, she realized, okay, this is really who you are. I need to just accept it. Mm -hmm. And I think another perfect example of that is I actually made a, I think it was a reel on my Instagram page, but I essentially, because I was seeing this so much blowing up on the internet, I was like, okay, I'm going to speak my mind. And like, I'm not necessarily in that category, but I fully support like, love who you love, be who you are. If it's not harming yourself or others, I don't care. And so I made this reel basically saying, you know, and I still think about it quite often, but I made this reel saying that a lot of people have a lot of things to say about others and who they love and how they live and what they do behind closed doors that doesn't impact anybody negatively. But yet if, if that was their loved one, they would be all for it. So why can't you be all for it for a stranger who has nothing to do with you? Exactly. Like, <laughs> why, why not just give that love to everyone? Because life is hard enough on its own. If anything, I'm actually, not that I want it to be this case, but I'm actually surprised at how accepting and open people are of their family when they decide to come out as who they authentically are. I just, I think, I feel like people would have more of a, I'm using air quotes when I say concern mm -hmm. for their loved ones versus complete strangers who they have nothing to do with. But it quite in fact is the opposite. And it just blows yeah. my mind. Like why? Right? Like you come out of the closet and a stranger cares more about you from that point forward than your family does. Like that that's a little bit broken. <gasps> just a little bit. Just no. a little bit. Just a smidge. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I made that post. And as you said, that there was a lot of people saying, no, I wholeheartedly agree with you. But it's like there is a lot of people still nowadays that are not believing that or not feeling right. that. And those are the ones that are causing all of the. Right. Well, and, and that even goes to um, like all of my kids. Like, when I'm on podcasts, sometimes um, some people have asked, well, are you encouraging kids to transition? I'm like, mm -hmm. no, no, I'm not encouraging a child to modify their body. But if you get to your teens and it's your absolute last stop, yeah, try it. Get there. Like, we'll support you in names and pronouns until then. But... Mm -hmm. Don't, don't modify your body till you're actually at some point in puberty. Mm -hmm. Because it, otherwise it does look a little bit like grooming. And that's where I, I knew that I needed to transition a lot younger in life. And I would have done it when I was 16. But... I was paralyzed as a teenager and had that recovery to focus on. So I didn't end up changing my name or starting hormones until I was 20. And how was that 10 years ago? Because I, I think right now there's still quite a bit of, I don't even know, stigma or label or I don't know what the right word is for people that are taking hormones in 2023, but it's, more normalized now so how was that I, even just the process with medical 10 honestly, years ago it was a disaster i i was on a wait list for what had been over a year and they forgot about me and one day i i phoned in just to check and three days later the the doctor that was going to be dealing with me phoned me and apologized hey this is my name we severely screwed up um, we're just going to squeeze you in because you, you've been waiting a long time, honey. Wow. 
And do you think maybe some con- subconsciously that might have been a little bit intentional, given the kind of how the day and age was back then? A little bit, yes, because back then to actually get a hormone appointment, they basically wanted that, and they didn't want you to, but you had to phone in weekly to harass them until they gave you an appointment. And, and I've never been about that medical stalking, but mm-hmm. I understood that it, it might have been necessary in that scenario. And I was just too, okay, if I get to transition, I do. And, and if I don't, then oh well. Do you think your mental health would have been impacted differently had you not transitioned? Oh, yeah. I guaranteed I would not be alive today. Because you didn't feel, you or you wouldn't feel, sorry, your authentic self? I didn't feel like myself. Um, even testosterone being in my body makes me incredibly, incredibly depressed. And has it always been that case? Uh, yes. And for me, like even starting hormones, like first dose, I knew. I was like, no, that this is a step in the right direction. Because like many, if not most, trans people that take hormones and continue to, they have this feeling of euphoria of self once they finally start the process and they can feel the right juice running through their body. And how hard is that to explain to other people? When they don't understand that? Um, I, I would compare it to smashing one's head against a brick wall. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can get what you're putting down with that. Because <laughs> right? sometimes I, I give them that analogy or something similar and it just, it clicks in their head. And they're great about it. But someone who is refusing to believe or refusing to understand, that that's when it's just like a pointless end game. And I'm guessing that probably still happens quite often. Um, yeah. I I'm fortunate enough to not really have to talk about my transition a whole lot other than in dating situations, because most people just clock me as a cisgendered straight woman. And how do those conversations go? Are are they generally, generally and genuinely, I just tried to say both at the same time, (laughs) um, receptive and open to that? Or do you still seem to get kind of some pushback on that? Well, I mean, if it that truly depends on let let's say ideal market for lack of a better term, because as long as the person that I'm talking to is also queer, it's generally a non-issue. Mm-hmm. But if I'm having that conversation with a straight dude that is never thought about anything other than vagina mm-hmm. and no <laughs> that that doesn't go well normally they're afraid that the younger ones like my, my age and younger would are more open but generally it's well i've i've never done that but i'll try it so there is like a sense of i don't know what the word would be there's definitely a shift in the social paradigm. That's it. Those big fancy words. That's what I meant. <laughs> and if you're still comfortable, Reese, can we touch on how your children's mental health is based on having you as their parent figure? Only. Well, I. I'm. All, all my kids are only my kids from my years in social work. I very thankfully did not make any myself. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> but the kids that do see me as an adult figure in their life, I, there are times where each one of those kids has idolized me because they knew my story mm -hmm. and they, they, to this day, still see me as one of the strongest people they've ever met. And I, that even goes for the older ones that met me when they were older and just saw me as the safe queer adult in their life. Because like so many of these kids, right, through various stages, got disowned from parents, got told like they, they didn't have a family anymore just because they were trans. And then they would phone me in a panic and I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I might not be able to firsthand fix these things, but we will come up with a solution and we will take the action steps. And it sounds like a lot of them were seeking that support. Exactly. Like all queer youth need, even up, up to like 23 to 25, they all need a safe queer adult figure that has lived through some stuff to just look at them and say, hey, you're going to get through this. Do you think they even need that queer figure or just a safe, understanding adult, period? I would say a bit of both, but only because when you're dipped into, I, I guess, being LGBT, all of the straight heterosexual, like cisgendered supports in your life can dissipate in an instant. So the, the reality is when they come out as queer, it's often that they don't exist anymore. But in a perfect world where they had straight parents that were like, hey, we support you and we love you, then I would say the fill in queer parent is less necessary, but still a good guide tool for navigating all things queer. Mm -hmm. So it, it really just depends on circumstance, person, and a whole bunch of different things. Yeah. <laughs> As yeah. it does for most things. So I guess that's fair to, to say. <laughs> you know, it, it just depends on all the things. <laughs> just everything. <laughs> but that's it. Just everything. No biggie. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Oh, and some of that too. When you, I'm going to take like 500 steps back here, Reese. When you mentioned that you work with females to work through their trauma and kind of what that all entails, do you yourself practice Indigenous um, practices? Yes. Can we talk about that? I find that very fascinating, and I think there needs to be more conversations about it. Well, I, that's, it's all of your holistic and preventative practices. And although in a trauma scenario where we're diving into the right now, so we can't lean like directly into prevention, it's looking at your symptoms and looking for the cause and working on fixing the cause instead of just putting a Band-Aid on it or giving you a medication. Like it's adapting lifelong small changes. Like it's even more similar to like a, a recovery method where you know that you need to make these subtle changes. Like mm -hmm. if someone that's experiencing trauma has a deteriorated limbic system and now because of that trauma they're living in chronic pain where we're gonna look at their diet and we're i'm gonna look at the different herbs and teas that they can incorporate into their diet without even having to go to a health food store necessarily like like i take it back to a grocery store level of, oh, I want you to incorporate more mint into your diet. Please go get some mint tea. No, it doesn't have to be organic. No, it doesn't have to be vegan or whatever. Like, just go get some box tea. It, It's all mint. 
And do you practice more of the traditional, I think you mentioned drumming circles, but do you practice some of the healing modalities? Yes, from the drumming, the even I meditations, they I would do a sweat if I still had a wood sauna or sweat lodge, but I don't have access yet because I just moved and I haven't made those connections within the community here yet. But I imagine one day I will either have the land and build one or go use someone else's with permission. <laughs> I love how you added the for permission part. <laughs> Always ask consent. Well, exactly. <laughs> like consent in all areas of life. Well, and in, in especially with indigenous medicine, it's traditionally described as like the medicine wheel and having the four different quadrants. But I, I take it a step further and go from your mental, your spiritual, your emotional, your physical, but also your sexual. Mm-hmm. Because our, our sexual health is a big integral part of our beings. Whether, whether someone's flying solo, whether they're in a relationship, like however that be, our sexual health is actually super important to even how we potentially regulate our nervous systems. Can you give more info on that? Because that sounds really interesting. Well, I in, in the shortest example, you, you would tell me that you were stressed. And in that conversation that I would ask a question of, well, are, are you getting any? Do, do you actually need the release of an orgasm? Because that might be the one thing you can add to your day, whether, whether solo or partnered, that you can actually shift without having to focus on breath work or all of these other things. Like there are so many ways that I, we miss pleasure in North America because of the religious structures that were funded under or founded. Interesting. I feel like that's a whole other conversation <laughs> that could happen. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I gave an entire seminar talk this summer on the healing and psychosomatic healing effects of kink this this year and how was that taken honestly the viewers that saw it loved it because they know my background and how that was extensively in sex work before I completed my training um and how I firsthand have seen people heal from things because they were just physically able to release it from their body. And watching, watching that release happen was very magical. It sounds like you do, like internally and for those that you support, it sounds like you do incredible work, Reese. Honestly, I'm just trying to heal the world one person at a time. Sometimes that's all we can do, one by one. And then those ones will impact others one by one. It's like a domino effect in some right? ways. Like, th that's all we can hope for. Like, by the time we're retired, may maybe this world will be a better place. I really hope so. I, I almost want to say I don't think it could get worse, but I I don't want to put that into the universe. <laughs> because <laughs> it you know you never know you never know <laughs> and
and I don't want to see that. So we're just going to pretend I didn't say that and the universe is going to ignore that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's just ignore that one. That That's a bad one. <laughs> Very bad one. Well, I wanted to thank you again, Reese, for being a guest and touching on all of these topics. I know we went through a wide range, but I really do appreciate you being a guest and being vulnerable to asking questions that it sounds like you don't necessarily talk about often and I do truly think that all of these indigenous trans sexualities LGBTQ plus they all need to be talked about and but often I find that there's not really many platforms that will talk about that or do talk about it right like I completely agree and thank you so much for having me today this has been an absolute pleasure Absolutely. I know we've, like we said in the beginning, we've been trying to connect for so long that it's like, oh my God, we're actually doing it. I'm so excited to actually be able to connect with you finally. Right? Like this was the highlight of my day. Amazing. Well, I'm honored. And I also, Reese, wanted to ask you if there was anywhere that listeners can find you. Tell us about the books, any socials, any websites, anything like that. Tell us all the things. I, you can find me all over social media um, on Instagram and TikTok. It is uh, rehab underscore Reese, but everywhere else, um, you can just find me by my name. I am out there everywhere. The books, um, the first one was about the first three years of my paralysis recovery journey as a teenager, and that is Paralysis Beating the Odds. And the second is Paralysis 2, Hot Takes and Self-Empowerment, telling the story of everything else from underage sex work to being queer in the world today to also being polyamorous. It's a great critical thinking book, but it covers a lot. Those are most easily found on Amazon under my pen name of Addison DeMarco. And your pen name being like your author name? Yes. Oh, interesting. Okay. I've I've looked at your socials and your website and I've been following along, but I never realized that there was even a different name with your books. <laughs> so I don't know how well maybe I was paying attention, but I did try. <laughs> hey, it's, all, it's okay. I post a lot on social media. <laughs> That's good, though. We need you to be active and teaching all of these things to all of us. And it sounds like you're right where you need to be. I, I really am. It, it almost sounds like you're home. Have you heard that expression, that you've come home to yourself? Mm-hmm. I, I, I really have. That's my outsider... Uh thoughts on what I'm hearing and the things I see from you on socials. I, I definitely did. Like you were a hundred percent on that one. I usually am. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> like, like a true Canadian woman. Yeah. I'm always right. And you're always wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and Reese, is there any kind of final words of encouragement or support or advice or just any final thoughts that you want the listeners to know. It could be about any of the topics that we touched on. It could be just about struggling in general. What comes to mind for you? Honestly, never give up. I, it doesn't matter if you're reaching out to a professional or a friend or even myself. I would, People are always here to listen. And wait, we are happy to because we we only do this in unity. Right? It takes a village to be an adult too. I like that. You never hear that. You only ever hear that it takes a village to raise a kid, which is true. But I really like what you just said as well. It's very thought-provoking. <laughs> right? Like, we all mean community. Community is at the heart of everything. Or should be. Yeah. 
Amazing. Well, let's leave that thought-provoking statement with the listeners. And I look forward to hopefully staying connected with you, Reese. I would absolutely love that. And just to continue to learn and grow alongside you. I, I'm happy to stay connected. I, I know we both share a lot of each other's content on social media. Hey, it's, it's community. I got you. Exactly. <laughs> we got to practice what we preach, you know? Right. And, and we're doing that. So we're good. <laughs> we're covered. <laughs> but I wanted to truly thank you again, Reese. And I look forward to seeing what you do in the next chapter, in the next season of life. And to you, Reese, and to the listeners, I'm sending you lots of love and lots of light.